0: Nehemiah chapter 2, let's pray together. Father, we just come before you right now. We ask that you'd speak to us, that you'd speak to us through the power of your word, that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. We pray that you do a great work of revival and a great work of restoration. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. You know, building for the first time is really fun, isn't it? When you drive uh, at the east part of town and you see all of these new subdivisions going up and maybe you stop in at a model home, man, it's so exciting. It's building for the first time. But if you've been in a home for a while and maybe when you first got into that house, you painted that house for the first time, oh, it was so good, right? But now you've been there for a while and you have to paint those same walls again. This summer, thankfully, we celebrated 15 years in our home, an amazing gift from God to be so many years in our home. But I've got to tell you, I've painted the walls more than I would like. And the first time that Amber and I painted the walls, we were so excited, we were enthusiastic, we would have friends over and paint and have have pizza, you know. And this last year, 2020, like many of you during COVID, we painted, and I'm like here I am painting these stinking walls again. And in our lives, it's really hard to see God go back and rebuild an area that was once strong. It's an area where we once walked with the Lord. It's an area where there was a wall of defense, but over time, sin has crept in. Our flesh has had its way, the struggles of life have broke us down, and all of a sudden what was once healthy in our lives now needs to be rebuilt. And, and we're not quite as motivated, we're not quite as optimistic, we're not quite as ready to join in the work, and for the children of Israel, this wall had once been strong around the temple but now because of their compromise and their sin, it was broken down and it was on Nehemiah's heart to see the Lord rebuild these walls. And he's gonna rally the troops here in chapter two and call them to this place of rebuilding. And it does take great faith to rebuild. It takes great faith in God that he can rebuild our lives, that he can rebuild our communities, that he could rebuild our country. So let's pick up in verse one of chapter two. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I'd never been sad in his presence. Therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid." The Bible tells us it's in the month of Nisan, and he began praying in chapter one, verse two, in the month of Chislev. So he's praying for four to five months from Chislev to Nisan. Chislev is November, December, and Nisan is March to April. So four or five months of laboring and praying. As he's laboring and as he's praying, God gives him vision of a step of faith to take, and that is to be sad in the king's presence. He's the king's cupbearer. He serves the king, spends a lot of time with him every day, bringing him his food and his, his beverage, a very trusted position of service. And as he sought the Lord, God put on his heart to take a risk and be sad in the king's presence, To be sad in the king's presence could mean his life. He's risking his life here. Apparently, the king didn't like anyone to be sad in his presence. He's in charge. He wants everyone to be at their best. Nehemiah takes this step of faith. If we're going to see God rebuild in our lives and in others, there has to be steps of faith. It requires steps of faith. Steps that are big and steps that are small, but those steps are birthed through prayer. So if you're taking notes tonight, write that down and think through that, is what steps of faith is the Lord calling me to take? Because this process of being distressed over broken down walls, being distressed about the wall of defense around the temple being broken down, to sit in that and to mourn and to pray But as we spend time with the Lord, God is gonna identify steps of faith. And he's wanting us to take a risk. The work that God is gonna do here in the book of Nehemiah would have not taken place without this step of faith. Oftentimes, we wanna see God move without steps of faith. Isn't that true? God, I wanna see you do a restorative work. I wanna see people come to know Christ their Savior but I'm not going to step out in faith. I was talking with a friend today, and he took his young family to go sledding. And they went into a new area of their neighborhood. And as they're sledding, here came an empty nester couple with this big, huge sled that <coughs> could fit five, six people in it, and allowed them to <coughs> use their sled. They said, We've got grandkids and we just love to see people out on this this hill. And very naturally in this conversation just shared about the goodness of the Lord as they were letting them borrow their sled. After they were done sledding, they came out and they said, we're always really thirsty after we're sledding, here's some water for you guys and gave them some, some water bottles. That's a step of faith right there. Here they were in their homes, could have easily gone and said, oh, look, there's a family out on the sledding hill, but I think that this is a routine that they knew well. Like, this is an opportunity. We live by this sledding hill. We've got this great sled. We're going to let families use it, and we're going to share the love of Jesus Christ. We're going to show them in our actions and show them in in our words as well. And this Christ-rejecting world desperately needs steps of faith needs us to step out of the comfort of the church, step out of the comfort of these four walls, step out of the comfort of our relationships that we're used to, our brothers and sisters in Christ. All of this is equipping ground, the fellowship that we enjoy, the study of God's word that we enjoy. But God wants to launch us out. He wants us to step out to an Xerxes and see what the Lord may do and love people in Jesus' name and share and proclaim the gospel, but the real steps of faith that God's gonna call you to and that he's gonna call me to are gonna take place through prayer. As we pray, the Lord's gonna place those specific steps in our hearts and in our lives. is ready in verse three, and said to the king, may the Lord live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? As Nehemiah responds, he's dreadfully afraid, just like any step of faith. There's anticipation, but there's fear, and he says, why would I not be sad because Jerusalem is in distress? The gates are burned down. The wall is in ruins. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah can start to see the door open. He can start to see God God move. Okay, Nehemiah, what's your request? Nehemiah pauses and he prays. So he steps out in faith, but he also continues in prayer. It's not that Nehemiah had the opportunity to go get on his knees and pray, or fast and pray at this moment. There were times of that in the past. But this is live action, flare pair right up to God. Saying, Lord, I need your help right now. God, I need your wisdom. I need your words to be my words. And as we're walking with the Lord and stepping out in faith, we want the Lord to cultivate a prayer life in us I don't want to rush through the prayer life of Nehemiah him taking that time four or five months to pray and then continuing to walk with the Lord as now he's fleshing this out is there an area of your family that's broken down pray take it to the God who can do something the awesome God is there an area of your character that is, is broken down. Take it to the Lord. Repeatedly, for months. Just spend time with the Lord. And then as God begins to give those actions, those steps of faith, start taking those steps, but then do it in dependence upon the Lord. God, would you help me? This is the moment. Lord, this is a key conversation. I need your help. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my fathers, that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. I want to go back and rebuild the wall. How long is it going to take? Nehemiah gives him a set time that he's going to be gone, but Nehemiah doesn't stop there. He was prepared to go even further in verse seven. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, even up in Denver. (laughs) Who knew governors were so powerful, right? Prior to 2020, we are like, yeah, what do governors really do? They do a whole lot. Like who you elect as a governor apparently is really important, right? So here Nehemiah is saying, I need a letter so that the governor will allow me to cross the river, which is the Euphrates. He's traveling from Iran to southern Israel, to Jerusalem, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah, but he doesn't stop there as well. He goes further and says, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king king, granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. God's hand's upon Nehemiah. God's hand is upon this cupbearer, and he's bold enough to also ask for wood. You've probably been following the story of the Notre Dame Cathedral that caught on fire and the massive restoration process that's underway, the rebuilding that is taking place. Right now, they're searching for oaks, old ancient oaks to be able to rebuild the spire, to rebuild the, the roof and the supporting of, of uh, the roof, and Nehemiah knows how important this wood is going to be and he asks the king to provide it and the king says yes. This is an important lesson in Nehemiah's life is that he was prepared if God opened the door. So as we take steps of faith, we want to be prepared if the Lord opens the door. So what if God opens the door with that neighbor that you've been praying for? Are you prepared to then follow through with that. Do you have a a little bit of a plan? So there's an area of your family that you're targeted on and that you're praying that God will soften hearts. God starts to do that and God starts to open those doors. Are are you prepared? You have that plan in place and, and Nehemiah had thought through what he was gonna say. He knew he needed a letter to get across the Euphrates River and he also knew that he needed timber to be able to rebuild the gates. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Far out, he got armed guard. Not only does Nehemiah get to go, but he goes with a blessing to get across the river, gets free timber, lumber, and also gets an armed guard to escort him. I get the sense from the text Artaxerxes had huge respect for Nehemiah. You could almost miss it, but in verse 1, it says that Nehemiah was serving. He was serving the king. He was bringing the king his wine. We don't know how many years Nehemiah served as a cupbearer. We know he's a slave. He's in captivity. He could have easily had a bad attitude. I don't want to serve this, this pagan king, But instead, he served faithfully because he was doing it unto the Lord. Now, when this moment comes, it seems that he has Artaxerxes' respect. Verse 10, When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Remember these guys' names. They're going to come up through the book of Nehemiah, Sanballat and Tobiah. They're the officials of the region. And they are not happy that somebody is there in Jerusalem seeking the well-being of the children of Israel. Church, do you know that there is still a lot of people that get really upset when you seek the well-being of the children of Israel? You can seek the well-being of any people group and you're a humanitarian hero. But you seek the well-being of God's chosen people in the nation of Israel, and you're gonna receive opposition. Why is that? Because there's a spiritual element. Because they're God's chosen people. And Satan would love to wipe them off the face of the planet. Whenever we set ourselves upon doing God's work, there is gonna be resistance from the enemy. If we're content with the rubble in our lives, we're content with the destruction in the body of Christ, we're, we're content with the state of our community, the state of our country, there's not going to be any opposition. But when we seek for God to do a restorative work in our lives, when we seek to take the gospel out to dark places, like Chris was, was talking about, well, look out for the Sanballat and the Tobiah. Look out for those that are gonna resist the the work of the Lord. In verse 11, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. The next thing that Nehemiah does is he surveys the brokenness. Takes the step of faith, continues in prayer, and then he surveys the brokenness. In verse 12, then I arose in the night. He, He goes out in the night. I and a few men with me, And I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. So Nehemiah has not shared with anybody what he wants to do yet. He's holding it in his heart, even though he's already been there for three days. To me, this shows a lot of wisdom from Nehemiah because the timing in which you share vision, which you share what God has put on your heart, is really important. Because sometimes if we share it too prematurely, it's not well defined in our own hearts yet, or the person that's on the hearing end is not ready to receive it, or we are sharing the vision before we're really convinced in our own hearts and minds, and someone who is well intending talks us out of it. What if Nehemiah would have kind of gone about this more in a processing type of way? Hey guys, what do you think if we rebuild the wall around the temple? Well, I don't really know if that's a good idea. It doesn't seem like it's the right time. Have you seen the muscles of Sanballat and Tobiah? Those guys wouldn't really like it if we were rebuilding the temple. And I was checking out your LinkedIn, Nehemiah, and you really don't have the skill set for building a wall. Much more in the entertainment industry and in the, in the food and beverage. So, so why don't we just uh, kind of sideline that for a bit? And before you know it, Nehemiah could have been talked out of what God was calling him to do. Unfortunately, I think we've all been negatively used in someone else's life to talk them out of something God had called them to do. And we've probably also allowed well-intending people to talk us out of something that God told us to do. So Nehemiah is just gonna wait. He's gonna wait until he's surveyed the brokenness, till he's convinced in his own heart and mind. In verse 13, I went out by night through the valley gate of the serpent well and the refuse gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials didn't know where I'd gone or what I'd done, I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials or the others who did the work. It's easy to get very comfortable with the rubble that's around us. For the Israelites that did live in Jerusalem, for the nobles, they got used to seeing the wall broken down. It was a part of their landscape. Again, like things in our home, that are broken. If it's broken long enough, we just get used to it. It's normal for that to be broken. I listened to a couple be interviewed. During COVID, they decided to begin a kitchen project and rip out some cabinets, but then they got busy again and never finished the project and the couple said on the interview we've gotten used to looking at it the way that it is <laughs> and that happens in our lives we go well this is broken in my character I'm kind of used to the rubble this this is broken in my marriage I'm kind of used to the hey thank you appreciate it this guy's a stud right here <laughs> Thank you and before you know it. We're not motivated to to change or do anything different about the rubble. This is hard. This is the hardest part of this text. But would you survey the brokenness in your life? Would you survey the brokenness in your family? Would you survey the brokenness in our church, in the body of Christ? Would you survey the brokenness in the teens that come to RMC that are to my right and to my left in the high school and junior high room tonight? Would you survey the brokenness in the children's ministry? Brokenness for single parents trying to make it through, single moms, single dads the brokenness in Colorado Springs, the brokenness in our country, and and allow the Lord to give us a burden. Because as we have the burden, then comes the commission in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Now, Nehemiah gets together all those that are living in Jerusalem, the Israelites that are returned to exile. He says, You see the problem. You see how we're in distress. And let's no longer accept that as the norm, but come and let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. I think we do see the brokenness in our lives we do see the brokenness in the body of christ as a whole we do see the brokenness in colorado springs and throughout our country but the question is are we going to do anything are we going to do anything is it is it going to move us to take a posture of saying let's rise up and build let's see god do a work let's let's see god win the loss and you might be saying, well, how do I go about that process? How do I go about that process of God rebuilding my life and being used to rebuild other people's lives? This is simple, but it's so profound, and it's absolutely true. Draw near to Jesus. Draw near to him from a genuine heart of crying out to him and saying, Jesus, I just don't want to know about you. I don't want to just study about you, but I need to be near to you. And I'm bringing my brokenness to you. And start walking with the Lord through his word. Start studying it with the intent of understanding who he is and the way that he wants you to live your life. Allow this to be what dictates your life. God's word. Not suggestions, but this is his word. And as you draw near to the Lord in the word and in prayer and surround yourself with brothers and sisters in Christ, God's gonna begin to do this restorative work in your life. Then begin to reach out to others, to people that don't know Jesus. Share the gospel. Share that Jesus died for their sins. Share that Jesus rose again. Jesus is the one who saves us and transforms us from the inside out. He rebuilds our lives, and it's that hope of then being able to reach out to someone else. Nehemiah here, he rallies the troops, and the troops respond in verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build Then they set their hands to the good work. Nehemiah doesn't try to do this alone. How many of us would have rolled up in Jerusalem, like God called me, he gave me this letter to get over the Euphrates, he's provided timber, so I'm gonna start building the wall. I'm gonna start getting the rocks and the concrete going and I'm gonna, and if he wants to bring other people into the process, he can. Nehemiah knows that's never gonna work. This is something where God has to touch the hearts of God's people. And when it comes to rebuilding in our lives, we have to let other people be part of that process with us. As we'll study next week in chapter three, we'll see that next to them, next to them, it was families next to other families rebuilding this wall together. So if you're saying, man, there's a restorative work that God needs to do in my my life, I would encourage you, don't try to do it alone. What do I mean? Let's say it is sexual sin. Well, let's say the, the struggle's anger or bitterness. You pick the struggle. But instead of trying to rebuild a wall of defense in that area by yourself, seek the Lord, draw near to Jesus, be in prayer, be in the word, but then invite brothers or sisters in Christ into this process with you. If you're married and your spouse is saved, invite them into the process. Say, would you be praying for me in this area? If you know some scriptures that would be helpful, would you share those with me? Would you check in with me? Give them permission to do so. If that's not the position that you're in with your spouse, you're, you're single, your spouse isn't walking with the Lord. Ladies, find women in the Lord that you can open up with, that you can say, would you do some building with me? <laughs> I need something more than just to hang out. I need someone that's gonna press in and really hold me accountable in this area of my life. Men, to find other men and say, open up and say, hey, would you walk alongside me with me, and let's build this together. And hopefully you have those two or three people in your life that you can trust to open up and rally the troops and say, hey, let's, let's build together. If not, plug into women's ministry. Plug into men's ministry. Plug into a connect group. If those avenues are closed, call the church office. We'll try to find some people that'll walk alongside of you, but don't do it alone. If it's this area of outreach, don't do it alone. You got a heart to share the gospel? Jesus sent the disciples out in twos. Grab someone and say, hey, let's go share. Have really been targeting this neighbor and praying for them, and we're going to have them over for a barbecue. Would you guys come too? We could use a little bit of support as we, we love on this particular neighbor. Or I've really been reaching out to my dad. He's got a hard heart. Would you be praying with me in this? But, but rallying the troops and doing this together. And church, isn't it so fun to serve God together? The best friends that I have are the friends that we get to serve the Lord together. I have some friends where we have mutual interests and that's, that's great, but man, Getting together with a friend that loves God, that serves God, getting to serve the Lord together, there's an incredible bond that comes with that. Verse 19 But when Sandal the Hornite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? This is the voice of the enemy. the enemy loves to laugh who who do you think you are to work on your marriage you've tried this before and and failed there's there's not going to be restoration there's not going to be a wall of defense who are you to walk in sexual integrity you know you always end up end up falling who are you to share the gospel your life's so broken and full of sin you you can't share the the gospel and that's the voice of satan And he uses many in that chorus, in that anthem. Notice how Nehemiah responds. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. God's in this, God's gonna bless this, and we're gonna continue to build. The best way to defeat the voice of the enemy in our lives is be faithful to do what God called you to do. You know how the wall was built around Jerusalem, around the temple, one brick at a time. They had to get up for 52 days and lay brick. And if they're focused on the enemy, trying to argue with the enemy, trying to prove to the enemy why they're worthy, the wall never gets built so the best way to overcome the enemy is do what god's called you to do build that wall keep investing in that marriage keep focusing on the lord to rebuild that sexual integrity keep reaching out with the gospel and the lord will be faithful to do that work brokenness the rubble rebuilding having to repaint the same wall for the third or fourth time? What do we do with the brokenness in our lives and the brokenness with others? Let's fast forward just a little bit to the life of Jesus. There was something about Jesus where broken people knew that they could come to Jesus. Messed up people to the point where they were so broken, so defiled, so sinful, that when other people saw Jesus having a meal with them, they were appalled. Why is Jesus hanging out with them? Because they understood what Jesus was all about. That Jesus loved sinners, and he had the power to transform and change broken lives. Those that had their lives put together, the scribes and the Pharisees, they weren't attracted to Jesus. They didn't think they had any brokenness. Hey, we, we've got it all together. They were writing books on how squeaky clean their life was. But the broken people, the sinful people, you and me, they understood, I can bring my brokenness to Jesus and he can do something about it they were so confident about this with Jesus that they would go and get all the broken people in the community and bring them to Jesus so they themselves would bring their brokenness but then they go something's not right with you I think you're demon-possessed we need to bring you to Jesus uh, you can't walk you're paralyzed We need to bring you to Jesus. In fact, we need you to come to Jesus with such urgency that we're going to rip the roof off of the house and lower you down so that you will get to the feet of Jesus. And it says that Jesus healed that man because of the faith of his friends. It wasn't even his own faith, but the faith of the friends. So it is very discouraging to look at our own brokenness to have the faith and to have the courage to say, I'm gonna press into this broken area of my life and believe that God can rebuild it. But what gives us hope to be able to do that is bring the brokenness to Jesus. That area that you can't conquer, that area that you can't have victory through, the enemy seems to ring the bell and win the day God, I'm bringing that area of brokenness to you. Then as we encounter broken people, isn't it crazy that we would encounter broken people? I mean, insane that we're broken, we're sinners, and everybody that we're around is sinners. We don't need to have the answers for them. We don't have the answers for them. We're not the Messiah, but we can bring them to Jesus. We can say, I know somebody that can do something about your brokenness. I know someone that can solve your sin problem, forgive you of your sins, and give you hope for eternal life and in this life. But church, it's time to rise up and build. It's time to rise up and build. To, to no longer be content with the rubble. To no longer go, hey, it's okay. It, it's okay. It's okay that the walls are, are broken down. And God is stirring things and he is moving things and he's moving the body of Christ to a place where I think we're no longer content with the brokenness. We look around and we go, okay, there's enough brokenness in this country, in the United States of America. Somebody has to do something. Well, who's that somebody gonna be? The Lord would want it to be us. As we turn to him and we start to reach out with the love of Jesus Christ. COVID, the trauma, the craziness, the uncomfortableness, it's starting to reveal the fleshy parts of our lives, isn't it? And we can run and hide or we can say, okay, Lord, it's time to do some building. But let's rise up and build, not because we're able, but because God is able. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray. Jesus, we want to see you clearly. See your love, see your power. And as we study the Gospels and read your word, we see that the broken, the sinful, the hurting, the demon possessed, the the paralyzed, the the leper, were attracted to you. They, They knew in their hearts that you could do something about their brokenness. So we bring our brokenness to you. Broken families, broken marriages, broken character. And we ask that you would do a great work of rebuilding. Help us to not be content with those areas of brokenness, but to seek you specifically about how you would do a work of restoration. And our hearts do hurt for our communities, for Colorado Springs, for this country, how we've rejected you, And we do pray that there would be a repentance, a turning from sin and a turning back to you. And God, would you give us a a hunger for lost souls? And would you give us opportunities to share the gospel this week? Divine opportunities. Fill us with your spirit to go out, to leave our our place of comfort and enter into brokenness to see you do great works of restoration. So God, we love you.